Book 12, Chapter 4 of the Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicola K. The Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 3, by Flavius Josephus. Translated by William Whiston, Book 12. Chapter 4. How Antiochus made a league with Ptolemy, and how Onias provoked Ptolemy Euergetes to anger, and how Joseph brought all things right again, and entered into friendship with him, and what other things were done by Joseph and his son Hyrcanus. After this, Antiochus made a friendship and league with Ptolemy, and gave him his daughter Cleopatra to wife, and yielded up to him Celesyria and Samaria and Judea and Phoenicia by way of dowry. And upon the division of the taxes between the two kings, all the principal men framed the taxes of their several countries, and collecting the sum that was settled for them, paid the same to the two kings. Now at this time the Samaritans were in a flourishing condition, and much distressed the Jews, cutting off parts of their land and carrying off slaves. This happened when Onias was high priest. For after Eleazar's death, his uncle Manasseh took the priesthood, and after he had ended his life, Onias received that dignity. He was the son of Simon, who was called the Just, which Simon was the brother of Eleazar, as I said before. This Onias was one of a little soul, and a great lover of money, and for that reason, because he did not pay that tax of twenty talents of silver, which his forefathers paid to these things out of their own estates, he provoked King Ptolemy Euergetes to anger, who was the father of Philopater. Euergetes sent an ambassador to Jerusalem, and complained that Onias did not pay his taxes, and threatened that if he did not receive them, he would seize upon their land, and send soldiers to live upon it. When the Jews heard this message of the king, they were confounded, but so sordidly covetous was Onias, that nothing of things nature made him ashamed. There was now one Joseph, young in age, but of great reputation among the people of Jerusalem, for gravity, prudence, and justice. His father's name was Tobias, and his mother was the sister of Onias the high priest, who informed him of the coming of the ambassador, for he was then sojourning at a village named Phicol, where he was born. Hereupon he came to the city, Jerusalem, and reproved Onias for not taking care of the preservation of his countrymen, but bringing the nation into dangers by not paying this money. For which preservation of them, he told him he had received the authority over them, and had been made high priest, but that, in case he was so great a lover of money, as to endure to see his country in danger on that account, and his countrymen suffer the greatest damages, he advised him to go to the king, and petition him to remit either the whole or a part of the sum demanded. Onias's answer was this, 
that he did not care for his authority, and that he was ready, if the thing were practicable, to lay down his high priesthood, and that he would not go to the king, because he troubled not himself at all about such matters. Joseph then asked him if he would not give him leave to go ambassador on behalf of the nation. He replied that he would give him leave. Upon which Joseph went up into the temple, and called the multitude together to a congregation, and exhorted them not to be disturbed nor affrighted, because of his uncle Onias's carelessness, but desired them to be at rest, and not terrify themselves with fear about it. For he promised them that he would be their ambassador to the king, and persuade him that they had done him no wrong. And when the multitude heard this, they returned thanks to Joseph. So he went down from the temple and treated Ptolemy's ambassador in a hospitable manner. He also presented him with rich gifts and feasted him magnificently for many days, and then sent him to the king before him and told him that he would soon follow him, for he was now more willing to go to the king by the encouragement of the ambassador who earnestly persuaded him to come into Egypt and promised him that he would take care that he should obtain everything that he desired of Ptolemy, for he was highly pleased with his frank and liberal temper, and with the gravity of his deportment. When Ptolemy's ambassador was come into Egypt, he told the king of the thoughtless temper of Onias, and informed him of the goodness of the disposition of Joseph and that he was coming to him to excuse the multitude as not having done him any harm, for that he was their patron. In short, he was so very large in his encomiums upon the young man that he disposed both the king and his wife Cleopatra to have a kindness for him before he came. So Joseph sent to his friends at Samaria and borrowed money of them and got ready what was necessary for his journey, garments and cups and beasts for burden, which amounted to about twenty thousand drachmae, and went to Alexandria. Now it happened that at this time all the principal men and rulers went up out of the cities of Syria and Phoenicia to bid for their taxes, for every year the king sold them to the men of the greatest power in every city. So these men saw Joseph journeying on the way, and laughed at him for his poverty and meanness. But when he came to Alexandria, and heard that King Ptolemy was at Memphis, he went up thither to meet with him, which happened as the king was sitting in his chariot with his wife, and with his friend Athenian, who was the very person who had been ambassador at Jerusalem, and had been entertained by Joseph. As soon, therefore, as Athenion saw him, he presently made him known to the king, how good and generous a young man he was. So Ptolemy saluted him first, and desired him to come up into his chariot, and as Joseph sat there, he began to complain of the management of Onias, to which he answered, Forgive him on account of his age, for thou canst not certainly be unacquainted with this, that old men and infants have their minds exactly alike, but thou shalt have from us who are young men everything thou desirest, and shalt have no cause to complain. 
With this good humor and pleasantry of the young man, the king was so delighted, that he began already, as though he had had long experience of him, to have a still greater affection for him, insomuch that he bade him take his diet in the king's palace, and be a guest at his own table every day. But when the king was come to Alexandria, the principal men of Syria saw him sitting with the king, and were much offended at it. And when the day came on which the king was to let the taxes of the cities to farm, and those that were the principal men of dignity in their several countries were to bid for them, the sum of the taxes together, Asela, Syria, and Phoenicia, and Judea with Samaria, as they were bidden for, came to eight thousand talents. Hereupon Joseph accused the bidders as having agreed together to estimate the value of the taxes at too low a rate, and he promised that he would himself give twice as much for them, but for those who did not pay, he would send the king home their whole substance. For this privilege was sold together with the taxes themselves. The king was pleased to hear that offer, and because it augmented his revenues, he said he would confirm the sale of the taxes to him. But when he asked him this question, whether he had any sureties that would be bound for the payment of the money, he answered very pleasantly, I will give such security, and those of persons good and responsible, and which you shall have no reason to distrust. And when he bid him name them who they were, he replied, I give thee no other persons, O king, for my sureties than thyself, and this thy wife, and you shall be security for both parties. So Ptolemy laughed at the proposal, and granted him the farming of the taxes without any sureties. This procedure was a sore grief to those that came from the cities into Egypt, who were utterly disappointed, and they returned every one to their own country with shame. But Joseph took with him two thousand foot soldiers from the king, for he desired he might have some assistance in order to force such as were refractory in the cities to pay and borrowing of the king's friends at alexandria five hundred talents he made haste back into syria and when he was at ascalon and demanded the taxes of the people of ascalon they refused to pay anything and affronted him also upon which he seized upon about twenty of the principal men and slew them and gathered what they had together and sent it all to the king and informed him what he had done Ptolemy admired the prudent conduct of the man, and commended him for what he had done, and gave him leave to do as he pleased. When the Syrians heard of this, they were astonished, and having before them a sad example in the men of Ascalon that were slain, they opened their gates and willingly admitted Joseph, and paid their taxes. And when the inhabitants of Scythopolis attempted to affront him, and would not pay him those taxes which they formerly used to pay, without disputing about them, he slew also the principal men of that city, and sent their effects to the king. By this means he gathered great wealth together, and made vast gains by this farming of the taxes, 
and he made use of what estate he had thus gotten in order to support his authority as thinking it a piece of prudence to keep what had been the occasion and foundation of his present good fortune and this he did by the assistance of what he was already possessed of for he privately sent many presents to the king and to cleopatra and to their friends and to all that were powerful about the court and thereby purchased their good will to himself this good fortune he enjoyed for twenty-two years and was become the father of seven sons by one wife he had also another son whose name was hyrcanus by his brother solimius's daughter whom he married on the following occasion he once came to alexandria with his brother who had along with him a daughter already marriageable in order to give her in wedlock to some of the jews of chief dignity there he then supped with the king and falling in love with an actress that was of great beauty and came into the room where they feasted he told his brother of it and entreated him because a jew is forbidden by their law to come near to a foreigner to conceal his offence and to be kind and subservient to him and to give him an opportunity of fulfilling his desires upon which his brother willingly entertained the proposal of serving him and adorned his own daughter and brought her to him by night and put her into his bed and joseph being disordered with drink knew not who she was and so lay with his brother's daughter and this did he many times and loved her exceedingly, and said to his brother that he loved this actress so well that he should run the hazard of his life if he must part with her. And yet probably the king would not give him leave to take her with him. But his brother bid him be in no concern about that matter, and told him he might enjoy her whom he loved without any danger, and might have her for his wife, and opened the truth of the matter to him, and assured him that he chose rather to have his own daughter abused than to overlook him and see him come to public disgrace so joseph commended him for this his brotherly love and married his daughter and by her begat a son whose name was hyrcanus as we said before and when this his youngest son showed at thirteen years old a mind that was both courageous and wise and was greatly envied by his brethren as being of a genius much above them and such a one as they might well envy joseph had once a mind to know which of his sons had the best disposition to virtue and when he sent them severally to those that had then the best reputation for instructing youth the rest of his children by reason of their sloth and unwillingness to take pains returned to him foolish and unlearned after them he sent out the youngest hyrcanus and gave him three hundred yoke of oxen and bid him go two days journey into the wilderness and sow the land there and yet kept back privately the yokes of the oxen that coupled them together when Hyrcanus came to the place, and found that he had no yokes with him, he condemned the drivers of the oxen, who advised him to send some to his father to bring them some yokes. But he, thinking that he ought not to lose his time while they should be sent to bring him the yokes, he invented a kind of stratagem, and what suited an age older than his own. 
for he slew ten yoke of the oxen, and distributed their flesh among the laborers, and cut their hides into several pieces, and made him yokes, and yoked the oxen together with them, by which means he sowed as much land as his father had appointed him to sow, and returned to him. And when he was come back, his father was mightily pleased with his sagacity, and commended the sharpness of his understanding, and his boldness in what he did. And he still loved him the more, as if he were his only genuine son, while his brethren were much troubled at it. But when one told him that Ptolemy had a son just born, and that all the principal men of Syria and the other countries subject to him were to keep a festival on account of the child's birthday, and went away in haste with great retinues to Alexandria, he was himself indeed hindered from going by old age. But he made trial of his sons, whether any of them would be willing to go to the king. And when the elder sons excused themselves from going, and said they were not courtiers good enough for such conversation, and advised him to send the brother Hyrcanus, he gladly hearkened to that advice, and called Hyrcanus, and asked him whether he would go to the king, and whether it was agreeable to him to go or not. And upon his promise that he would go, and his saying that he should not want much money for his journey, because he would live moderately, and that ten thousand drachmas would be sufficient, he was pleased with his son's prudence. After a little while the son advised his father not to send his presents to the king from thence, but to give him a letter to his steward at Alexandria, that he might furnish him with money for purchasing what should be most excellent and most precious. So he, thinking that the expense of ten talents would be enough for presents to be made the king, and commending his son as giving him good advice, wrote to Arion his steward, that managed all his money matters at Alexandria, which money was not less than three thousand talents on his account, for Joseph sent the money he received in Syria to Alexandria. And when the day appointed for the payment of the taxes to the king came, he wrote to Arion to pay them. So when the son had asked his father for a letter to the steward, and had received it, he made haste to Alexandria. And when he was gone, his brethren wrote to all the king's friends that they should destroy him. But when he was come to Alexandria, he delivered his letter to Arion, who asked him how many talents he would have, hoping he would ask for no more than ten, or a little more. He said he wanted a thousand talents, at which the steward was angry and rebuked him, as one that intended to live extravagantly. And he let him know how his father had gathered together his estate by painstaking and resisting his inclinations, and wished him to imitate the example of his father. He assured him withal that he would give him but ten talents, and that for a present to the king also. The son was irritated at this, and threw Arion into prison. But when Arion's wife had informed Cleopatra of this with her entreaty, that she would rebuke the child for what he had done, for Arion was in great esteem with her, Cleopatra informed the king of it, and Ptolemy sent for Hyrcanus and told him that he wondered, when he was sent to him by his father, that he had not yet come into his presence, 
but had laid the steward in prison and he gave order therefore that he should come to him and give an account of the reason of what he had done and they report that the answer he made to the king's messenger was this that there was a law of his that forbade a child that was born to taste of the sacrifice before he had been at the temple and sacrificed to god according to which way of reasoning he did not himself come to him in expectation of the present he was to make to him as to one who had been his father's benefactor and that he had punished the slave for disobeying his commands for that it mattered not whether a master was little or great so that unless we punish such as these thou thyself mayst also expect to be despised by thy subjects upon hearing this his answer he fell a-laughing and wondered at the great soul of the child when arion was apprised that this was the king's disposition and that he had no way to help himself he gave the child a thousand talents and was let out of prison so after three days were over hyrcanus came and saluted the king and queen they saw him with pleasure and feasted him in an obliging manner out of the respect they bear to his father so he came to the merchants privately and bought a hundred boys that had learning and were in the flower of their ages each at a talent apiece as also he bought a hundred maidens each at the same price as the other and when he was invited to feast with the king among the principal men in the country he sat down the lowest of them all because he was little regarded as a child in age still and this by those who placed every one according to their dignity now when all those that sat with him had laid the bones of the several parts on a heap before hyrcanus for they had themselves taken away the flesh belonging to them till the table where he sat was filled full with them trypho who was the king's jester and was appointed for jokes and laughter at festivals was now asked by the guests that sat at the table to expose him to laughter so he stood by the king and said dost thou not see my lord the bones that lie by hyrcanus by this similitude thou mayst conjecture that his father made all syria as bare as he hath made these bones and the king laughing at what trypho said and asking of hyrcanus how he came to have so many bones before him he replied very rightfully my lord for they are dogs that eat the flesh and the bones together as these thy guests have done looking in the meantime at those guests for there is nothing before them but they are men that eat the flesh and cast away the bones as i who am also a man have now done upon which the king admired at his answer which was so wisely made and bid them all make an acclamation as a mark of their approbation of his jest which was truly a facetious one on the next day hyrcanus went to every one of the king's friends and of the men powerful at court and saluted them but still inquired of the servants what present they would make the king on his son's birthday and when some said that they would give twelve talents and that others of greater dignity would every one give according to the quantity of their riches he pretended to every one of them to be grieved that he was not able to bring so large a present 
for that he had no more than five talents. And when the servants heard what he said, they told their masters, and they rejoiced in the prospect that Joseph would be disapproved, and would make the king angry by the smallness of his present. When the day came, the others, even those that brought the most, offered the king not above twenty talents. But Hyrcanus gave to every one of the hundred boys and hundred maidens that he had bought a talent apiece for them to carry, and introduced them, the boys, to the king, and the maidens to Cleopatra, every body wondering at the unexpected richness of the presents, even the king and queen themselves. He also presented those that attended about the king with gifts to the value of a great number of talents, that he might escape the danger he was in from them. For to these it was that Hyrcanus's brethren had written to destroy him. Now Ptolemy admired at the young man's magnanimity, and commanded him to ask what gift he pleased. But he desired nothing else to be done for him by the king than to write to his father and brethren about him. So when the king had paid him very great respects, and had given him very large gifts, and had written to his father and his brethren, and all his commanders and officers about him, he sent him away. But when his brethren heard that Hyrcanus had received such favors from the king, and was returning home with great honor, they went out to meet him, and to destroy him, and that with the privity of their father, for he was angry at him for the large sum of money that he bestowed for presents, and so had no concern for his preservation. However, Joseph concealed the anger he had at his son, out of fear of the king. And when Hyrcanus's brethren came to fight him, he slew many others of those that were with them, as also two of his brethren themselves. But the rest of them escaped to Jerusalem to their father. But when Hyrcanus came to the city where nobody would receive him, he was afraid for himself, and retired beyond the river Jordan, and there abode, but obliging the barbarians to pay their taxes. At this time Seleucus, who was called Soter, reigned over Asia, being the son of Antiochus the Great. And now Hyrcanus's father, Joseph, died. He was a good man and of great magnanimity, and brought the Jews out of a state of poverty and meanness to one that was more splendid. He retained the farm of the taxes of Syria and Phoenicia and Samaria twenty-two years. His uncle also, Onias, died about this time, and left the high priesthood to his son Simeon. And when he was dead, Onias his son succeeded him in that dignity. To him it was that Arias, king of the Lacedaemonians, sent an embassage with an epistle, the copy whereof here follows. Arias, king of the Lacedaemonians, to Onias sendeth greeting. We have met with a certain writing, whereby we have discovered that both the Jews and the Lacedaemonians are of one stock, and are derived from the kindred of Abraham. It is but just, therefore, that you who are our brethren should send to us about any of your concerns as you please. We will also do the same thing, and esteem your concerns as our own, and will look upon our concerns as in common with yours.
Demoteles, who brings you this letter, will bring your answer back to us. This letter is four square, and the seal is an eagle with a dragon in his claws. And these were the contents of the epistle, which was sent from the king of the Lacedaemonians. But upon the death of Joseph, the people grew seditious on account of his sons. For whereas the elders made war against Hyrcanus, who was the youngest of Joseph's sons, the multitude was divided, but the greater part joined with the elders in this war, as did Simon the high priest, by reason he was of kin to them. However, Hyrcanus determined not to return to Jerusalem any more, but seated himself beyond Jordan, and was at perpetual war with the Arabians, and slew many of them, and took many of them captives. He also erected a strong castle, and built it entirely of white stone to the very roof, and had animals of a prodigious magnitude engraven upon it. He also drew round it a great and deep canal of water. He also made caves of many furlongs in length, by hollowing a rock that was over against him. And then he made large rooms in it, some for feasting, and some for sleeping and living in. He introduced also a vast quantity of waters which ran along it, and which were very delightful and ornamental in the court. But still he made the entrances at the mouth of the caves so narrow that no more than one person could enter by them at once. And the reason why he built them after that manner was a good one. It was for his own preservation, lest he should be besieged by his brethren, and run the hazard of being caught by them. Moreover, he built courts of greater magnitude than ordinary, which he adorned with vastly large gardens. And when he had brought the place to this state, he named it Tyre. This place is between Arabia and Judea, beyond Jordan, not far from the country of Heshbon. And he ruled over those parts for seven years, even all the time that Seleucus was king of Syria. But when he was dead, his brother Antiochus, who was called Epiphanes, took the kingdom. Ptolemy also, the king of Egypt, died, who was besides called Epiphanes. He left two sons, and both young in age, the elder of which was called Philometer, and the youngest Fiscon. As for Hyrcanus, when he saw that Antiochus had a great army, and feared lest he should be caught by him, and brought to punishment for what he had done to the Arabians, he ended his life, and slew himself with his own hand, while Antiochus seized upon all his substance. End of Book 12, Chapter 4 Recording by Nicola Kay